You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. This week, we turn to the struggle to end income management for Social Security recipients. The Australian Parliament is currently considering expanding the compulsory quarantining of 80% of Social Security recipients' income on debit cards held by the private corporation INJU to tens of thousands more people and then potentially millions. Since the beginnings in 2016, there have been four trial sites for the card affecting over 15,000 people with sites overwhelmingly targeted where there's high numbers of First Nations people. On the card, recipients are not allowed to buy alcohol, gamble or withdraw cash and in practice have regularly faced payment declines for over 400,000 items that aren't prohibited. We hear from Amanda from advocacy group The Say No 7 on how we got to this critical point in the fight against the cashless debit card, the danger and harm the card causes, particularly for women, and how campaigns against the card have been received in feminist movements. I'm joined by Amanda on Women on the Line. Amanda is an advocate against the INJU cashless debit card and member of The Say No 7. The cashless debit card quarantines 80% of social security recipients' income and restricts how it can be spent. At the time of recording on 22nd of October, the renewal and expansion of the INJU cashless debit card is before the Senate, including in a committee, and there are plans to make an additional 25,000 people be put on the cashless debit card and trials to be made permanent and caps lifted. But first, Amanda, would you talk would you like to talk to listeners a bit more about yourself? Yeah. Hi, everybody, and thank you very much, Iris. Uh, yeah, well, the Say No 7 is the group that I belong to, and we've been examining the legislation and policy as well as running a counter-propaganda campaign for about five years now. Most people know who we are that are involved in the fight, but if you don't, we're a bunch of disabled mums <laughs> at core who have been fighting for our own children and the rights of other children. We've also been involved since about 2006-07 uh, fighting forced income management when it first rolled out in the Northern Territory. There's uh, about 10 or 11 of us left out of the original cohort of 25 but we have um, over 18 pages now. We've got about 40,000 supporters. So we have become uh, a little hub for information and for policy breakdown. And we're in contact with uh, card holders all over the country, uh, basics cards and in due cards. So when we go out there to support or to do protests, we go out with card holders. We go and we raise their voices. Um, I'm not a cardholder myself. Three of our members are, and one of our members is currently facing homelessness um, with four little kitties and a baby, brand new baby right now in the Bundaberg region. I'm based in Melbourne, and uh, but we have people in every card site amongst our crew. And uh, as I said, some are on cards, some are not. But, um, you know, we're going to keep going for as long as we possibly can. And we've spoken in Senate, we've done five submissions to different inquiries 
and we've raised a lot of noise and a lot of public awareness about what the cards are really doing. So that's who we are. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, for listeners that might not know that much more about the context of the cashless debit card, could you talk some more about how we've got to this place? Okay, well, income management um, rolled out during the Northern Territory Intervention, or ENTER, in 2007 with the Basics card, which it's a forced income management by a third party where a percentage of your payment is taken and given to a third party which controls how that portion is spent. And that began on a 50-50 income split on the basics cards in 2007, predominantly in the Northern Territory, though also in Adelaide and in Logan. And then um, the government commissioned Andrew Forrest to do a creating parity report or a jobs report. And out of that came this idea for the healthy welfare card. And by 2015, that had started to enter legislation. And uh, it was a change from basics. Uh, and a change for the worse. It, it impacts 80% of somebody's income and it gives ownership of that income to a private corporation. Uh, both cards are forced income management, so there's no choice involved. You are, If you're in the wrong postcode, that's what you get. You know, It's rolled out in a blanket fashion. At the moment, cards are impacting people in uh, all sites except Hinkler on all payments except the age pension and the um, the Veterans Affairs Pension, DVA. Otherwise, it's all payments and all age groups right up to age 67. Yeah, and it's rolled out now into four sites. There are four sites are running in due, uh, in due cards and all four sites are reporting quite devastating results. Uh, you wouldn't actually know that <laughs> to hear the government spruik, but our experience, which has been firsthand with cardholders on the ground, is definitely showing that um, that after 13 years of basics cards and five years of the cashless debit card, which is now called, um, or we call them INJU cards, nothing has been achieved, no program objectives have been met, no key point indicators or any of that. Even the ANO, the Office of the National Auditor, said no evidence to show that these cards have met their objectives. So it's a very dangerous time for us and... Uh, with the current bill before Parliament empowering the Minister to act to remove statutory rights of recipients of Centrelink, to, on, to apply ongoing monitoring of Centrelink recipients not on the program, on it and off it. Um, some of the powers being granted in this new bill to the Minister are really dangerous and will impact way beyond the experience of what it's like to have your income controlled by a third party. So it's a very serious time for us and we're really focused on the campaign right now. Mm, yeah, it's a very concerning time and very concerning crossroads we're at at the moment. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if you could talk about how the scheme reduces financial autonomy, particularly for women, but also for anyone, and is increasing all sorts of distress. Okay, I'll start off with the autonomy issue because it's it's the easiest to go to from what we just spoke about. This company 
Um, this company takes 80, 80% of your Centrelink payment, but it doesn't just take the payment and put it in an account that it manages. It actually takes legal ownership of that payment, which means that when you go to apply for credit or for a loan, the bank that you are applying to can only see the remaining 20% as your lawful income. So in terms of financial autonomy, that's the first thing most people realise and realise too late is that they're only legally receiving the payment of 20% of their income. Now, for someone on youth allowance, that's $3.60 per day. For someone, it goes up to, I think, the highest payment, which is DSP at the moment, it's $11 a day. And it works out to like $150 a fortnight. You know, um, and while you can access an extra $200 every 28 days in cash to your account, you have to qualify that spending. It has to be for a purpose. So, um, you know, when people are going for credit loans, when uh, we had a carer in Kalgoorlie who, who was already pre-approved for a loan, she got put on the card and the loan got dismissed because the bank said, we can't see anymore that more than 20% of your income is yours. So that's the first you know, disempowerment that you experience, loss of, of actual legal ownership of your payment. Um, under social security law, that's not supposed to happen. But because the NLP are not enforcing social security law, it is happening and it's happening right now. Um, women make up 86% of people on cards now. The sum total of people, of uh, this think there's 12,100 people left on cards. Um, and, they, and women make up 86% of that. Where we are finding the biggest issues is in uh, daycare fees. The, the cards won't pay for daycare. We have one mother that spoke recently on one of our web uh, podcasts, um, you know, about that she ended up having a $4,000 debt, you know, because the injury cards kept bouncing. They wouldn't do the, um, the daycare centre, couldn't process her payment. So it, we, we got daycare and we also have housing. Um, you know, we have several reports of mothers in critical need right now who will be one mother, especially with, like I said, an infant who will be homeless in the Bundaberg region on November 2nd, literally homeless, nowhere to go. So um, it's affecting housing and, um, you know, the payments themselves that are being targeted uh, are things like parenting payments. So the whole ethos of, of the thing was that it's misogynistic in that sense, that um, it's targeting people or people who are working casual and part-time, which are very female-dominated industries, and, um, you know, the despair, you know. Um, we've already lost, we lost very early on one of our members who was a mother of six who couldn't bear it anymore. And that's why I think spurned us on and into more action and to fighting harder. You know, um, you know, I, I really can't, there's no single word that encapsulates the experience except one of despair, holistic despair, uh, trying to access. It's already stressful being a mother, it, trying to access, um, you know, every little tiny detail of spending is, is controlled under this card, having to ask permission from a third party to spend income that is legally and rightfully yours. This is demeaning. This is insulting. For women without children, we have a young girl, young woman, sorry, Em at the moment, who's doing the rounds of, 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 of her protests, you know, and she's working and on the card. And it's, you know, you can't catch a bus. <laughs> the cards don't pay for a bus. 
Um, you know, she's trying to meet mutual obligations for her payment. She can't catch a bus and the cash portion is so low for job seekers. I think it's $6 a day. It doesn't even cover the price of a bus fare. So it's it's actually setting people up to fail in every area in parenting. If this this beautiful mum that we have in Harvey Bay can't find a home for her children, her children will be taken into state care. From the very beginning, a mother in Kalgoorlie and a mother in the Kimberley both tried to reject the card and they had um, child protective services on the front door saying, if you don't accept the card, we're taking your children. You know, we have a mother now that is working and doesn't need it. She gets a tiny portion of parenting payment and family tax benefit was put on the card in Bundaberg. Yet she works full time. She has her children's needs absolutely met. And she was denied an exit from the program because she's not meeting the needs of her children because government has quarantined her family tax benefit and she won't activate her card. You know, she doesn't need that money that's there to, for critical survival of her children. But, you know, the government now owes her close to $25,000 in payments that she's lawfully owed. And um, and she can't access that money. Inju has it. Inju's making interest off it. And, um, and, and they're threatening her because, that you know, saying that she mustn't be looking after her children because she's working, you know. You've got students unable to pay for their photographs, uh, secondhand uniforms, books. This, you know, these are these are from all trial areas. In the very beginning, the netball team, the entire netball team that had worked so hard to go to to go to national, uh, state or nationals, they'd they'd won their regionals and they couldn't go because all their parents were on the card, and there's no cash access in some areas. So it was um, they couldn't raise enough cash to buy the tickets because the cards won't won't pay for airline tickets. So um, you have to get special permission. Sorry, I must clarify that. You have to get special permission for any extraneous spending. Like if you, you know, you have to have a photograph and you have to sign an affidavit. So whereas mums used to network through buy, swap and sell and, you know, and this micro economy of people supporting each other through micro transactions, you can't do that on a card. You can't do Facebook markets and, and you can't go to the market if your entire cash portion is being used to cover the, all the things that the cashless debit card can't cover. Um, Karen recently spoke in our webinar about what it felt like to be refused entry to her own daughter's school fate because she didn't have $2 coin. You know, that she couldn't buy her kids drinks because everything was in cash. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you've been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're hearing from Amanda from the Say No 7 group, an advocacy group against the Inju cashless debit card for welfare recipients, currently being trialled at four sites. We are at a critical juncture at the movement against the card as late October the federal government has legislation to continue expanding the NGU card's rollout. We pick up from Amanda talking about how the card and legislation are eroding rights. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was... Women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> presumption by a political elite that the very fact you are on a Centrelink payment means you are 
not capable of consent, because that's the first thing that goes. People don't realise it. To get around social security law, the government basically declares you incapable of consenting. You know, that's how they got around the law. You know, the laws that are meant to protect you have been gotten around. And because the government is legally allowed to not enforce law, that's exactly what they're doing. That power has to be curtailed somehow in the future by future governments because it, right now it's being abused by this government. And the people that are suffering the most, especially the people that are, are ending their lives or losing their life in their lives, um, you know, this exploitation by the political class and the financial class is setting people up to fail and it's created the very problems. You know, 13 years of income management didn't work. The solution to that is not to have another 13 years of income management. You know, the solution is to go, look, this didn't work. What can we do? What did the report recommend? Four-year longitudinal study was undertaken by the leading experts who lived on country with people. Okay, the academics actually lived in, they did these reports for the government and it said it didn't work. It created more welfare dependency. They listed a whole bunch of recommendations, including making it voluntary. Because while voluntary uptake of income management had some short-term success, it was the only success that they saw. You know, 13 years, that was the only time period of success. And even then, voluntary income management didn't work longer term. Because behavioural change isn't based on money, it's based on an internal factor that can't be quantified. You know, we wrote this morning about addictions. You know, addictions are a national health issue. They're not a, it's not about money. And coming from a basis of drug and alcohol work myself and, and life experience, I can tell you the cards would not have helped me. They would have, in fact, forced me back into the same groups that were supporting my addiction, which is exactly what we're hearing from addicts around Australia now. Sorry, from people who are addicts around Australia now and from their family members. You know, um, the trial was brought in to, to combat social harms and social violence created by drug and alcohol. The government has not even met that objective you know, you know, five years into trials and they're still out there complaining that social harms are so massive that this amazingly, you know, this is a draconian encroachment upon human rights, civil rights and legal protections, you know, um, and they're complaining at this moment that that's not enough. This would never, if it was any other group in society other than the poor, there would be noise, there would be an outrage, but because it's poor people, because it's single mums and Aboriginal people, people are, it's even our own allied, you know, you'd think people that would be naturally our allies are silent. Mm. And it's a little more than frustrating. <laughs> yeah, for sure it is. I want to pick up that point after, after the next question, but going to some of the stuff you talked about, reportedly it costs $10,000 per person under the cashless debit card run by Inju. Um mm -hmm. Should the government be actually supporting people to address their needs in terms of social services instead of stigmatising and punishing them under this scheme? Oh, absolutely. Look, uh, the last information we have from the Senate directly was $12,000 cumulative cost per person. Um, even if you were to split the $10,000 or $11,000 cost into half and give half to social services and half directly to the recipient, 
you would see a better impact for Social Security recipients than what it's being spent on now because I can tell you, aside, it doesn't cost $25,000 per card, you know, uh, even for 800,000 cards that they'd ordered, the, the, the contracts that were given to INJU for this for this card just to produce the plastic were just – it costs $1.78 to, to get a, a Westpac MasterCard, a, a Westpac Visa card. Women on the line. If the government can afford to waste this amount of money um, on pilots that don't work, uh, they can afford to raise the rate of New Start and for a start, for sorry, for Job Seeker straight away, and they can invest the rest of the money in in the local social services. We need rehabs. Five years into trials, Sejuna still doesn't have the rehab they've been asking for for nine years. You know, four years into trials for Kananara Wyndham, and we still don't have the youth diversion centres that they asked for. The community, um, the community support structures, the money just didn't arrive. You know, there's all this talk, and as a consequence, people have just withdrawn their support from the card over the original. You know, there's only like one or two hangers on. The rest of almost everybody has just withdrawn support. Government hasn't come through with the money. It's kind of like the Sydney, the fires, you know, the fire fund. You know, there's $2 billion they commit, but they actually haven't produced anything. And we're finding too that the money that did come like to places like Hinkler went on job search agencies employing two more people, not one single social support for people on the cards. You know, what we need is... Um, you know, I'm not going to buy into the NLP tropes that every Centrelink person even needs public support other than the payment itself. You know, there is no evidence that shows everyone on a Centrelink payment is a drug addict or an alcoholic or so messed up financially they actually even need support. But for those that are, they should have access to support and they don't. In any of the trial sites, they don't. So it's like those supports should be put in place for people that need them, period, without the card. The funding just should be there to help people anyway. Women on the line. So there's a lot of people very afraid around the country right now. Age pension has just made it into the legislation for the first time formally as a trigger payment, so as a, re- as a restrictable payment, sorry, for Cape York and the Northern Territory. And, um, and while we assume, you know, that, this payment will end up being rolled out across all age pensioners everywhere. Um, right now, it is only for these two areas, and we're trying to highlight the fact that it won't stay there. We're five years into a one-year trial, <laughs> so it, we don't believe anything that explanatory man memorandums say, especially when the minister has been granted the power that this bill will give her to change and alter any of the rules. Um, during the transition period, which is going to be about 18 months long. So for the next 18 months, if this bill passes, the minister can change whatever rules she likes you know, uh, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. You know, um, And this is, this is why we have to fight this bill. How has Say No 7, the Say No 7's campaign against Inju's debit card being received in feminist circles? <laughs> Okay, um, I'm probably going to say some things here that are going to make a few people unhappy, um, but we're not here to make friends in that sense. Um, as we've spoken about before, Iris, there are no or very few intersectional discussions in major women's forums about women in poverty, 
women with disabilities or women on Centrelink. It's almost as if um, women who are of the poverty class or the poor class or the welfare class, whatever you want to call women without money, we've become invisible. We want feminists to be raging about this. We want feminists to be on the street with chains threatening to blow up. You know, what they they did for the suffragettes for the vote? We want women out there, you know, um, and we are not seeing it. This this policy impacts 86% women, you know, and where are the voices, you know? It's only recently uh, Celeste Liddell came out and said, you know, amazing Aboriginal uh, sister and fighter, she came out saying the card is classist and racist and it made such an impact to our campaign to hear one feminist ranter, one feminist voice saying this is wrong, you know, and it, it only took one. But that one statement led to a thousand contacts and people who had no idea this was going on. So feminists, if you're out there, I don't, whatever policy, whatever position you take, please include us in your conversations. You know, we went to the National Council at ACOS, um, the national meeting that they have every year. And we've had a room in the same hotel as a lot of the sector groups and social services. But, you know, they didn't want to speak to us. <laughs> they wouldn't connect and engage with us because they saw us as something less than themselves. And the fact that I'm an independent disabled woman, uh, you know, I had a crutch and I went to talk to somebody for, that I know is part of a large feminist circle and she moved away from me as if I was a plague or a client of her service. I haven't used social services. I haven't needed to use social services in over 13 years. It's like... But it was like that. The, the attitude is extremely depressing, you know. Um, and it's like the judgments again and the presumptions that are being made. You know how many brilliant people are down here in the basement? You're missing out on some fantastic intersectional conversations that are going on down here. This bill comes out of Senate committee on the sixth, and if it passes, it's the last, probably the last chance you'll have to even have access to a Senate inquiry. You know, um, and from, we need to do something urgently. We need your voices. You know, um, more importantly, you need to raise your voice on this issue before it becomes a fact for everyone. Because the silence from certain groups, especially, is deafening right now. And that silence is what's going to be remembered 10 years down the track. You know, we know what all the dissenters are saying, the people that hate us are saying. You know, it's the silence from our so-called friends on the left that is that is the larger problem. You're listening to Amanda from the advocacy group The Say No 7 on the campaign against the erosion of welfare rights and protection through the expansion of the Inju cashless debit card. Check out The Say No 7 on their social media for more information. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne on Kulin Nation's land, and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network, with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program. So please send an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR 
on 039419 You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. The theme music for Women on the Line was produced by Ripley Kavara. I'm Iris Lee. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.